You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times, and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. Amen. Thank you so much for your worship this morning. Happy uh, Resurrection Sunday to you. Happy Easter to you. It's good to see a full house this morning, and I'm glad to have everybody joining us online as well. Um, you guys know that, that pastors get a little psyched about Easter, right? I mean, you know that we get a little hyped up about this kind of thing. And um, I'm in a text group with some other pastors in town. There's three other guys in the text group. And uh, we, I mean, we check on each other and, you know, how do services go and what's going on and kind of cut up with each other. This morning, one of them texts me at 4.36 a.m. 4.36, in all caps, he is risen. And I texted him back, he is risen, but Russ is not. <laughs> so, go, go to bed. And the one thing I can promise you, as long as I'm pastor of this church, we will not have a sunrise service. So that, that just will never happen. Eight o'clock is as close to sunrise service as we get. But um, it's a big Sunday. I mean, you can kind of feel it. You feel the energy in the room. Folks are dressed up a little bit more. All the, It's a big Sunday. It is the most important Sunday of the year. And I know some pastors are like, well, no, no, every Sunday's important. Y'all make sure to come back next week because every Sunday's important. And I, I 100% get that every Sunday is important. But Easter is the most important Sunday of the year because it celebrates the most important event in Christian history. Uh, the most important event in human history. Because without the resurrection, there is no Sunday. Like, we don't gather on Sunday without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no church. Without the resurrection, there is no faith. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Without the resurrection, there is no life after death. All the things that we celebrate as believers do not exist without the resurrection. The cross has no meaning without the resurrection. And so that's why we make a big deal about it. And that's why we celebrate it. And that's why, you know, we're a little bit more emotional than normal because we're celebrating the resurrection today. And I want to thank you for being here. I really do. Uh, it's, it's good to see a full room again. Like, we, we debated whether or not to do three services. We always add services on Easter Sunday. But, you know, 2020, we didn't have in-person services on Easter. In 2021, we had socially distant Easter services, and so we're like, we just would like to see a full room again. We, I mean, we just, uh, let's just go ahead and keep our two services, and you know, let's just have a full room again, because it's, there's just some energy in that, and so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this morning. Um, we've been in a series called A Tale of Five Cities. I'm doing something weird on Easter that I, I don't think I've done before. I usually start a series on Easter. This year, I'm ending a series on Easter. And I think you'll see why as we go through this. But we've been in this series called A Tale of Five Cities, which looks at five different cities that Jesus visited in his earthly ministry. And in each city, he pulled back a little bit more of the curtain on who he was. In each city, he revealed a little bit more of his identity. So we started in Nazareth, his hometown synagogue. Jesus stood up at the beginning of his ministry, and he read from Isaiah, and it was a messianic prophecy. And he sat down, and he began to teach, and he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then in Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are the people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, or some say John the Baptist, or some say you know, you're some other kind of prophet. And he said, no, 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 but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
in Bethany, Martha came out and accosted him because he didn't get there in time for his friend Lazarus. His friend Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Martha came out and she said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And she said, he said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said, no, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever dies while believing in me will live again. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, I do believe that you are the Messiah who has come into the world to save them from their sins. And then in Jerusalem, when he gathered with his disciples right before he went to the cross, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I am God. Now, nobody makes a claim of divinity and nobody makes a claim of being God without being thought a crazy person. You would have to do something really, really big to prove that you really are God. You really are the son of the living God. You really are the promised Messiah. And that's where we get to today when we go to Emmaus. It's a little city outside of Jerusalem, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. That's really all we know about it. And there were a couple of disciples of Jesus that were traveling on the road to Emmaus after all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And that's the story I want us to look at today. It's in Luke chapter 24. If you got a Bible with you, you can follow along. All I want to do today is tell you this story. Because it's, it's one of the most incredible uh, versions of the story. And so in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, uh, Luke tells this story. And I will have it on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Beginning in verse 13, he says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. Now, the same day he's referring to is, is what we call Resurrection Sunday. He's referring to Sunday when these women... Uh, went to the tomb very early and they were taking more spices to prepare the body of Jesus. And so these women are going to the tomb very early and as they arrive at the tomb, the stone covering the entrance was rolled away and there was two men who appeared like angels before them and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen just as he said. And the women then remembered, oh yeah, he did say that 21 different times. (laughs) He did say that. And so they ran back to the 11 disciples and they told them that they had found this empty tomb and these men had spoken to them and revealed that Jesus was no longer there. And in verse 11, Luke says, the story sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe the women. However, Peter ran to the tomb to look and stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings and then he went home again. Wondering what had happened. So this happens on the same day. Sometime after, sometime between lunch and dinner, I think this story is happening. These two disciples are on their way back home. But they've heard about this incredible thing that has happened. It says, uh, verse 14, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Okay, so this is, um, these, are, these are disciples of Jesus Right, and, and they think about all the things that have happened in this time. So they've come to Jerusalem for Passover, and all these incredible things have happened in this week. The, the, the triumphal entry, um, the Passover, the teachings of the Passover, the cleansing of the temple, the, the washing of his disciples' feet, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. All these incredible, amazing things have happened in Jerusalem over the course of a week. And these two are going home, 
And, and they're talking about everything that happened. Verse 15, it says, Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they did not know who it was because God kept them from recognizing him. So I want you to try to picture this, if you will. Try to picture these two disciples. They're walking back to Emmaus dejected. They're walking back to Emmaus heartbroken because they had thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They had been disciples and followers of Jesus. And now they're walking back. Jesus has been executed by the Roman government, so he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. And so now they're walking back dejected and disappointed. But that's all they can talk about. All the amazing things that have happened in Jerusalem over the last week, that's all they can talk about. And so they're having this conversation about this all the way back, the seven-mile trek back to Emmaus. They're talking this, and this guy comes up. And starts walking with them, a stranger. It's Jesus, but they cannot see that it's Jesus yet. It's like an episode of Undercover Boss, if you will. Okay, like the boss has showed up and is walking with these two disciples, but God has prevented them from seeing it. And if you think about this, this I mean, this has happened a lot. Have you ever had a conversation with a famous person and didn't realize you were having a conversation with a famous person? Like you didn't recognize them and like halfway through the conversation it hit you. Or maybe at the end of the conversation after they walked off it hit you like, oh, I know who that was. Now this happens all the time. There's a, a real quick, there's a, this is a guy named Mike. I saw this, uh, Mike telling the story. But this guy named Mike is riding a ski lift. And on the ski lift, he's making small talk with the guy sitting beside him. And you got, if any of you ever been on a ski lift, you know like it's really awkward. You're just sitting right beside somebody else, and it's a slow ride, so you got to make some kind of... So Mike is like, you know, what the weather, and you know, where are you from, and all that. And he finally gets around to asking the guy, well, what do you do for a living? And the guy's like, I'm, a, I'm an actor. And he's, Mike kind of looks at him like, really? You're an actor? He goes, yeah. He goes, been in any movies? He says, I've been in a few. He goes, wow, really, really? Anything I would have seen? And Mike says, this guy looks at him like dead in the eye. And just, you know, 10, 15 seconds and goes, yeah, probably. He said, well, well, what is it? He said, have you seen Star Wars? And uh, Mike looks at the guy and goes, yeah, who did you play? And... (laughs) He's on the ski lift with Luke Skywalker. Really, he was on the ski lift with Mark Hamill and had no idea that he was talking to Mark Hamill. Mike still may not know that he was talking to Mark Hamill. And I had the same thing happen to me several years ago. This was 15, 16 years ago. I had this happen to me in Nashville, and it was with Leanne Rimes. We were at uh, Rotiers, and we were waiting for a table, and my daughter was little, and this lady comes up. And this is like right at the height of her fame. You know, she just hit some big songs, and and she comes up and starts talking to me about my daughter. How old is she and all this? And I'm talking you know, to, to Leanne Rhymes, and, and we talked for probably five minutes, and I realized she has no idea who I am. I mean, she walked out of that restaurant and had no idea she was talking to Russ Edcox. So this happens to people all the time, okay? No, what actually happened, I did talk to her for five minutes, and she walked out of the restaurant, and Jenny said, you have no idea who that was, do you? I said, nope. And uh, she said, that was Leanne Rhymes. I said, oh, okay, well, she's a nice lady. Um, but that's, that's the situation, okay? That's the situation with these two disciples. They are walking along this road to Emmaus. They got no idea who they are talking to because God has prevented them from seeing that. And then you pick up the story in verse 17. This, is, this, is, <laughs> this story is so cool. Listen to this. They don't know. This stranger is walking with them. Jesus says, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. He said, 
what are you so concerned about? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all people. But our leading priests and our religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had thought that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Now that's a very, very telling statement he says at the end. You catch, you catch what he said in the past tense there? We had thought that he was the Messiah. These are disciples of Jesus. They've been following. I don't know how long they've been following Jesus, possibly up to three years. They're disciples and followers of Jesus, and they say, we had thought. Why had they thought that? Because Jesus had been teaching that. At Nazareth, he revealed it. In Caesarea Philippi, he revealed it. In Bethany, he revealed it. So we had thought that he was the Messiah. But now they introduce him as a teacher and a performer of miracles and a prophet. And you realize everybody sees Jesus in that way. Historically, you know, the, the three major faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all see Jesus as a respected uh, miracle worker, as a prophet, as a teacher. It's only Christianity that sees him as the Son of God. And these two guys are going, we, we thought he was the Messiah. But they thought about the Messiah in national terms and cultural terms. They thought the Messiah was come to redeem them from Rome. And now Rome has executed the proposed... The, Messiah. So Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah. They say that all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran to see and sure enough Jesus' body was gone just as the women had said. Now put all this together. All right? These are disciples of Jesus. They've heard Jesus talking about the fact that he was going to be resurrected. They, they're familiar with the Jewish scriptures that talk about the Messiah is going to be resurrected. They are even familiar with this story that the women had gone that morning to the tomb and found it empty. And this crazy story. And Peter and John ran out there and they saw it. And sure enough, it was empty. Crazy story, but they still don't believe it. And how do we know they still don't believe it? They're going home. <laughs> they're, they're on their way back to the house. They're walking away from the story. They don't know what happened to the body. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe somebody stole it. Maybe, I don't know. But they're on the way back home. So this makes sense of Jesus' words in verse 25 when he says to them, You are such foolish people. You find it hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scripture? Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering the time of, of glory? And then Jesus quoted passages from the writing of Moses and all the prophets explaining what all the scriptures had to say about himself. Now by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with him since it was getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took a small loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. He broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. I, <laughs> I don't know why. 
But suddenly, like when they broke bread with him, their eyes were open. Now, a couple of points here. I, I think, you know, Jesus explains to them from the scriptures all that they would have already known about the scriptures. And he reminds them of the things that he would have said that they would have already known that he said. And they've even seen this, this they know of the empty tomb, but they have a hard time accepting it. And I think it's because they were so focused on their expectations, their unrealized expectations, their disappointment, their sadness, that they failed to see what God was doing right in front of them. And I give them a pass here because we're the same way all the time. Sometimes we get so focused on our stuff that we can't see God is up to something right in the middle of our lives. God is up to something big in our lives, and we can't see it because we're too focused on what we thought he ought to be doing or what we thought was going to happen. So we got it in our mind of how this story was going to play out. We got it in our mind of how our life was going to play out. Here's how it's going to play out. Here's how the marriage is going to play out. Here's what we know how it's going to play out. And sometimes when it doesn't go the way we thought it would go, we get so focused in our disappointment and in our sadness and in our frustrations with God that we fail to see him even when he's walking right there with us. I mean, these guys, they're walking with Jesus and they're talking to Jesus as, you know, we re- they're talking about their disappointments and their dejection to Jesus and he's walking there. They just can't see it. Their eyes haven't been opened yet. But eventually they will be. And that's the thing that we have to, to remember. That when, even when we don't see God, he can still be up to something big in our lives. Even when we can't see it. Even when we're not aware of it. So don't, we don't give up on God because God hasn't given up on us. Eventually our eyes will be open. And their eyes were opened when they began to break bread with him. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And at that moment they disappeared. Now look at verse 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Like, what, Were you having deja vu there? Because, it, man, that sounded, like, that sounded like stuff that Jesus used to say. Didn't our hearts feel strangely warm? And look at verse 20, uh, 33. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. You, I love that line right there, within the hour. I don't know what took them an hour, but it's like as soon as they figured out, wait a minute, that was Jesus. He's alive. The women weren't lying. He was resurrected. Within the hour, they are on their way back to Jerusalem where the 11 disciples are and the other followers of Jesus are gathered. And when they arrived, they were greeted with the report, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus uh, told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. He said, peace be with you. But the whole group was terribly frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why do you doubt who I am? Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted. Why do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see I have. And as he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his feet. And still they stood there doubting, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. That's a weird way to end a story, isn't it? This incredible, incredible story about the resurrection. I mean, I mean, this is like Luke's this masterful storyteller. 
talking about Jesus showing up. They don't recognize him. He's asking them what happened. They're telling him, and then he tells them, and then their eyes are open, and they go back, and they realize he's resurrected, and the story ends with him saying, you got anything to eat? And he eats a piece of broiled fish. End of story. What is the matter with Luke? Like, why would you end the story? If you, were, if you were the movie producer and you were producing this great movie, why would you end it with him eating a piece of broiled fish? There's a very good reason why it ends that way. Because Luke wants to make a very, very good point. The next five weeks, I'm going to explain it. I'll tell you right now before you leave, so I don't want you to like, I'm not going to leave you in limbo. But the next five weeks, the next series that we do is about this. What Luke was trying to point out to them was that Jesus was not an aberration. He was not a ghost. He was not a spirit. He was real. He had a real body. He had a physical body. You could see it. You could touch it. And it was different in some sense. It was not a perishable body anymore. There were some differences there. But you could see it. You could touch it. You could feel the scars. You could even watch him eat. That's, what, that's Luke's point. He was eaten. This was a real body. This is not a ghost. And the reason that's so important is because of what we're going to talk about next Sunday. The series that I'm going to kick off next Sunday is called uh, The Afterlife. What happens when you die? In my opinion, this is life's most important and most avoided question. Like We do not like to talk about this. We do not like to think about this. We think about it only at funerals and then only for as brief a time as possible. We get out there as quick as possible and we stop thinking about it again. What happens when you die? Nobody wants to think about death. Nobody wants to talk about death. It happens to every single one of us. Every single one of us in this room and online have experienced in our lives. We've lost people close to us, but we don't want to talk about it. And because we don't want to talk about it, we have a lot of kind of mixed up ideas about what happens when we die. One of those mixed up ideas is, well, when we die, our soul floats out to heaven, and heaven is disembodied spirits and souls floating back in the clouds playing harps. That's not the biblical version of heaven. That's not what the Bible talks about heaven. Like, well, sure it does. That's what I've heard all my life. Our soul goes to heaven, we float about on clouds. Nope, that's not heaven. Heaven includes resurrected bodies, physical bodies, real bodies, in a, in a new heaven and a new earth. You're like, well, where does the Bible say that? You're going to have to give me five weeks to explain that one, okay? <laughs> so I can't explain that one in three minutes. You've got to give me five weeks to explain that one. Where we're going to go in this series is we're going to talk about what is heaven like, really like? What does the Bible say heaven's like? What is, what is hell like? Is there a hell? Is there a heaven? How can we know? What happens when we die? Is there an in-between? Is there a purgatory, Hades, paradise? You know, what, what does the Bible say about that? And so we're going to be taking all those big questions um, starting next Sunday. So if you're not in the habit of being in church on a regular basis, uh, next Sunday's a good time to start the habit because we're dealing with, I think, the most important question. You are going to, eventually this question will be answered to you. We will all have the answer to this question eventually because all of us will die eventually. But we're going to start talking about it as to what the Bible says, and I want to invite you to come back. And even if you're like, that resurrection story you told today, I still think that's kind of nonsense and that's kind of crazy. Give it five weeks. Just give it five weeks and see what the scriptures have to say about it. 
Um, and I, I've already kind of foreshadowed. I didn't mean to do that. I was, that whole thing was like I was going to set up this teaser so you'd come back next Sunday. I didn't mean to foreshadow the whole thing, but I just couldn't help it. Uh, the, the resurrection is a part of all of our future. That's why the resurrection is so important. Not just because it happened to Jesus, but because it happened to Jesus, it will happen to every single one of us. Everybody who believes in Jesus will be resurrected. That's the promise of Scripture. That's the hope of Scripture. His resurrection was a foreshadowing. It was a first resurrection or first fruit of many, 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 many resurrections to follow.